The way in which John Gruden got run out of the NFL last month was an absolute joke. I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be cast out for the continued use of racist, homophobic, sexist, and misogynistic language he repeatedly used in his email communications. But that's not the reason Gruden's no longer head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. NFL owners and the league itself didn't act on Gruden until he turned his ire and homophobic and misogynistic language at NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. It was only then that Gruden was summarily shown the door. Let's start with what should have, and in any other organization, would have, met with immediate dismissal, with cause. It speaks a lot to the attitude and dispensation of the NFL, particularly the NFL owners, that the discovery of the language and imagery John Gruden used in his emails wasn't immediately a fireable offense. I am not going to bleep out any of the language he used in his back and forth with high-level executives, like former Washington football team general manager Bruce Allen. Among the emails Gruden sent, he reportedly exchanged emails with Allen and others that included photos of Washington football team cheerleaders wearing only bikini bottoms. Most likely, these images were originally sent by Allen, who kindly extended some of the material that Gruden used to put himself in what ultimately became an untenable position. The reason this example and the ones to follow became public in the first place is because of an NFL investigation following employee accusations made in the Washington Post that Washington football team owner Dan Snyder fostered a toxic workplace, especially among the women who worked for the team. One allegation was that the team produced a video solely for internal use, comprised of the outtakes and outfit changes from a calendar shoot of the team's cheerleaders. Per the New York Times in 2017, Gruden replied to a shared sexist meme of a woman refereeing in the NFL with the caption, Nice job, Roger, referring to Commissioner Roger Goodell. In 2015, Gruden condemned a congressional bill, one that eventually failed, which would have forced Washington to change its name from the Redskins. Strange, actually, that Gruden never worked for WFT, as it seems his general demeanor and attitudes toward women and minorities would have fit right in with WFT's corporate culture. However, that doesn't mean his behavior didn't fit into the NFL's corporate culture as a whole. He denounced the league for attempting to reduce player concussions, and later in 2015, when he received an email detailing how players wanted Goodell to support them in efforts to promote racial equity and criminal justice reform, he replied of Goodell, quote, he needs to hide in his concussion protocol tent, end quote. And as for the players protesting against police brutality in 2016, Gruden singled out Eric Reed, the first 49ers player to kneel during the national anthem alongside then-quarterback Colin Kaepernick in protest, saying Reed should be fired. Any of that sound familiar? Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! Within three years, both Kaepernick and Reed's NFL careers were over. Those emails all came after the first shoe to drop on Gruden, a communication to Bruce Allen in which he mocked NFL Players Association Executive Director DeMora Smith during a 2011 labor dispute that led to a player lockout. Quote, DeMora Smith has slips the size of Michelin tires. End quote. 
Taken as a whole, these examples were definitely more than enough to fire Gruden with cause. But, to the NFL, they didn't even merit a slap on the wrist. Which makes the league's feeble stabs at diversity, equity, and inclusion over the past 20 months entirely laughable. And not in a funny way. On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we'll look at how the NFL barely measured up to its own recent history of transparently thin, pretend, surface-level activism in the way it pushed John Gruden out the door for entirely the wrong reasons. Despite the fact black men constitute a majority of the NFL workforce, they're completely underrepresented in management. There's a reason NFL teams actively make a mockery of the Rooney Rule, a league policy requiring every team with a head coaching vacancy to interview at least one diverse candidate, and a reason why NFL teams mostly pass by diverse candidates when it comes to other front office positions. There's a reason the league office was dead quiet in responding to the release of Gruden's racist, sexist, misogynistic, and homophobic emails. The owners don't care. Because when it comes down to it, the only lives that matter in the NFL are those of the billionaires. The motto of those 32 NFL owners may as well be, billionaires' lives matter above all others. Even their white millionaire BFFs like John Gruden, who until October 11th was, if not a face of the league, then certainly the most popular and famous NFL coach of his generation. The DeMora Smith email was publicly released shortly before the Raiders' October 10th game against the Chicago Bears. The NFL over the past year has, in the performative nature of its actions, led the public to expect it would take this matter seriously. Certainly, that's the PR display the league has put on since the murder of George Floyd 17 months ago. In the midst of Black Lives Matter protests around the world, some of the NFL's most prominent black stars, like Saints receiver Michael Thomas and Kansas City Chiefs teammates Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew, put the league on notice with this Instagram video. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd. What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd. If I was George Floyd. If I was George Floyd. I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Gardner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown Jr. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So... On behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National, National Football, Football League, League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Here is how Commissioner Roger Goodell responded via video from his home office, a post that can be most flatteringly described as uncomfortably staged, stage-managed, and delivered. It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, 
admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening. And I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family. And when the 2020 NFL season opened, here's how the NFL, with the team owners backing, demonstrated its newfound commitment to the stated cause. The NFL announced the phrases, it takes all of us and end racism will be painted in the end zones all through the season. That from CPS's Inside Edition. Meanwhile, the NFL's 2020 regular season opener at Arrowhead Stadium, this is how the NFL's brand new pregame ritual played out. While the national anthem and lift every voice and sing played, the Chiefs stayed on the field while the Texans remained in their locker room. It was only after the songs played that the Texans took the field and the two teams linked arms at midfield. This, from the NFL's Twitter account, is what the small crowd at Arrowhead thought of this display of unity. If the fact the following occurred, and let me repeat this, at Arrowhead Stadium, home of the Chiefs, and one of the homes of the Tomahawk Chop, doesn't sound ironic. Well, maybe that's because the crowd response seemed obvious. Evidence right there that the NFL even dipping its little toe into a discussion about George Floyd would meet with backlash from its fan base. This reaction may not have been overtly encouraged by the league and team owners, but certainly wasn't dissuaded. Colin Kaepernick played his last NFL game nearly five years ago. His teammate, Eric Reed, who knelt with him to protest police brutality, bounced around the NFL for a few years before being summarily pushed out of the league after the 2019 season. No team signed him, so essentially he was fired exactly what John Gruden told former Washington football team GM Bruce Allen in a 2016 email should happen to read. While privately, Goodell has pushed for a team to sign Kaepernick, that has amounted to nothing more than publicly floated rumors that his team might consider signing Kaepernick. The one time it looked as though Kaepernick might actually get a real NFL tryout, both sides publicly undermined the event to the point it didn't happen as had been advertised. Publicly, Goodell has offered no pushback to Kaepernick's exile from the league. None to an initial policy that allowed teams to punish players for protesting. Zero to teams deciding on their own personnel matters. Not even a Twitter statement when, in a leaked owner's call from October 2017, then-Texans owner Robert McNair said of players protesting during the national anthem, quote, you can't have the inmates running the prison, unquote. Apparently speaking for the owners, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones then added that NFL owners, not the players, are historically responsible for the league's success. Nothing was said about Jones's comments. Meanwhile, McNair was allowed to make an offensive and patently untrue statement posted to Twitter through his team's PR department, saying he was, quote, not referring to our players, unquote. But really, what else was going to happen? Goodell obviously felt 
and still feels as though he's not done yet as commissioner. Because if he ever really tried to bring the hammer down on this sort of behavior from team owners, he'd be done as commissioner. Despite what he may say about the integrity of the shield, the commissioner no longer serves the league as a whole, because that's not the job anymore. It's effectively to be the head union chief for the team's owners. After all, he serves at their pleasure. They, and no one else, determine if Goodell stays or goes. They, not Goodell, make the rules by which everyone but themselves must abide. So, when it came time to actually act on a racial matter in its own league, it's really no surprise the NFL missed its moment, taking no action when the first set of John Gruden's emails was released. In the opinion of Hall of Fame receiver and now ESPN football analyst Randy Moss, the NFL blew a golden opportunity to be a 21st century leader in race relations. I speak about the game of football. I fell in love with the game of football Sam at six years old. I get emotional talking about it because of situations like this. My civil rights were taken, were, 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 were kind of messed with in high school over the color of my skin. And now being able to mm. play 14 years in the National Football League, to have something like this of a leader. We talk about leadership. We give guys these big contracts because they want to be able to lead 70 men, coaches, equipment staff, and managers to the number one goal, and that's to win a championship. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. I'm okay. sorry. After the game, it looked as though the NFL would continue its wrong-headed actions. Despite being a $100 million distraction in a league that detests quote-unquote distractions, it seemed Gruden would be let off the hook after a post-game press conference in which he attempted to sidestep further questions from the media regarding his emails. Can the NFL and the Raiders and the fans be sure that there are not any other racial insensitive remarks by you out there in the atmosphere that could be published by the Washington Journal or any other publication. All I can say is I'm not a racist. I don't, uh, I can't uh, tell you how sick I am. I apologize again to, to, to D. Smith, um, but I feel good about who I am and what I've done my entire life. And um, I apologize for the insensitive remarks. I had uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I had no racial uh, intentions with those remarks at all. But um, yes, they can. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not like that at all, but I apologize. I don't want to keep addressing it. How the NFL contacted you and, and uh, what was their response? Uh, what did, what was the response? I have not had any contacts with them yet, but uh, we'll see what happens here in the next few days. I guess that's my question. Do you expect something to happen? You know, I'm not going to answer all these questions today. I think I've addressed it already. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the things that transpired 10 or 12 years ago, but um, I stand here uh, in front of everybody apologizing. I know I'm not, uh, I don't have an ounce of, of racism in me. I'm a, a guy that takes pride in leading people together. And I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life. And again, I apologize to D. Smith and anybody out there that, that I have offended. Gruden's statement that there's, quote, not an ounce of racism in me, unquote, is similar to a statement White Sox manager Tony Larusa made shortly after the team hired him last year, in which he said, quote, there isn't a racist bone in my body, unquote. The following day, Carrington Harrison of Kansas City's KCSP Sports Radio 610 called LaRusso's words, quote-unquote, racist bingo, exactly the words a racist person would say. 
That sentiment was echoed October 11th by sports journalist Jamel Hill on Down Lemon tonight. The results speak for themselves. Down, we know by the obvious institutional racism that exists in the NFL that this is the mentality they all have. Now, it may be differing degrees. They may not all use some of the same vulgar language as a John Gruden, but in word, deed, and action, this is kind of who the NFL is and who they have been. I mean, a league with three black, only three black head coaches, a league that has never had a majority black owner. Uh, in its 101-year history, the league just got its first black team president last year. So based off the evidence, why should we even trust that the NFL has any motivation to be inclusive or progressive when they have not shown it. CNN is where I found out Gruden was gone when Don Lemon read Gruden's resignation statement that he'd posted on Twitter. I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. I don't believe this statement for a second. The intention was most definitely to say hurtful things about other people, though most likely with the caveat that they would never read or hear what Gruden had written. Here now is a listen to the reaction to the resignation of the most famous NFL coach of his generation. From Emmanuel Acho on CNN, Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, ESPN radio personality and former NFL receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and finally, Raiders general manager Mike Mayock, who was ostensibly Gruden's boss until last month. John Gruden was homophobic. He was misogynistic. He was racially insensitive. Um, he was perverted. So at the point in which you are both a pervert, a homophobe, a misogynist, and anti-black, you're left with nothing. Uh, and John Gruden, he needed to resign. It's imperative that he did resign. And I'm glad that he resigned. My first thought was, yeah, this had to happen. I mean, the NFL has gotten very loud and in your face about saying, okay, we've joined the fray with other leagues that have been asking for this and demanding it. And we, too, are saying you can't have this. And then you have this. You have this kind of speech. Yes, it's in the form of emails, but it's speech and it's ugly. We, you and I, have a couple of colleagues who told us, you know, in real time, this is who he is. He's a vulgar person and he did this kind of thing all the time. It had to happen this way, and it had to happen quickly and now, and then, and then move forward if possible. The volume yeah. of this, it, it's completely indefensible, and I agree with you, he had to go. I didn't know that, that John would say things like that and, and put him in an email. He's just always been a fraud to me. Never, never from day one, he's been a used car salesman. People bought it because he inherited a championship team built by Tony Dungy and Rich McKay, and he came in there with a little bit of different energy that we had with Tony, and it kind of kicked us over the top to get our world championship, which I am grateful for. But at the same time, I also saw through who he was. The year that, think about it, we won the championship, and we're standing on the podium in the Super Bowl, and the general manager is trying to raise the trophy, and the head coach takes the trophy from him, basically says, give me this, this belongs to me. And then the next year, the general manager leaves in the middle of the season. Rich McKay left in the middle of the season to go take another job with another team because he didn't want to be around this guy. I do have emotion, and, and, I, and I am sad. And to be honest with you, I'm sad for the whole Gruden family, okay? Not just John. But at the end of the day, we're all accountable for our actions. And that's how we have to look at it. That last statement from Mayak about accountability and everyone being held accountable for their actions, well, are they? No, not even close.
The NFL wanted to make it seem like Gruden was forced to resign because of the nature of the language he used, but it's not. It's because who he directed his ire at, and because he made a very convenient scapegoat so an NFL owner could escape any kind of accountability for much worse actions. Let's take a look now at why John Gruden's emails are available in the first place, shall we? Back in the summer of 2020, when the Washington football team, WFT if you're being kind, WTF if you're not, then the Washington Redskins were in serious trouble. By extension, so was the NFL. On one front, Federal Express, the team's stadium sponsor, was threatening to withhold its sponsorship money if the team didn't change its name something team owner Dan Snyder had vehemently resisted, saying at one point in 2013 that a name change would, quote, never happen, and you can print that in all caps, end quote. He was also trying to head off the team's minority owners from selling their stakes. Snyder, never one to shy away from hyperbole, referred to their actions as an ownership coup, saying the other owners, whom he dismissed from the team's board, were trying to discredit him and force him to sell off the team. As if that weren't enough, Snyder faced accusations that he fostered a toxic workplace in which women were denigrated, objectified, sexually harassed, and worse. The women who spoke to the Washington Post for its initial reporting did so anonymously out of fear of retaliation. Former team cheerleaders said they were offered as escorts to team executives' friends. Claims made all the more credible when Larry Michael, the team's longtime radio voice, and Alex Santos, the team's director of pro personnel, resigned after the Post presented the team with detailed allegations following interviews with more than 40 team employees, current and former, as well as a review of text messages and internal company documents. Things were so bad that WTF had to submit to a pseudo-external investigation in which the team chose Washington, D.C. attorney Beth Wilkinson to, quote, conduct a thorough, independent review of this entire matter, end quote. This is how I imagine this entirely fictionalized exchange going down. In an undisclosed location, somewhere in a gated village outside Washington, D.C., Snyder sits in an office that can best be summed up in this 1975 Chrysler commercial starring actor Ricardo Montalban. I know my own needs, and what I need from an automobile, I know I get from this new Cordova. I could ask for nothing beyond the quality of Cordova's workmanship, the tastefulness of its appearance. I request nothing beyond the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather. Yet it is on the highway where Cordoba best answers my demands. I'm sure the office is replete with taxidermized game animals and a bearskin rug, because why not? And the biggest flat screen LCD TV known to mankind. Snyder has an assistant pick up the phone and press just one button, because of course he has one of the city's top, most expensive lawyers on speed dial. My opinion of anyone taking Dan Snyder's calls at this point is that money is probably a pretty high priority, maybe the only priority. Beth, Dan here, because of course she knows exactly which Dan is calling her. Got a second? Yeah, we got some real going down. Team HQ is crawling with Washington Post reporters. They say we have dozens of current and former employees alleging we foster a toxic work environment. 
I know. It's hilarious. Any chance you'd have some time this week to clean this mess up? Put it on my tab. Thanks, Beth. You're the Here we are now, 16 months later, and after an elongated phishing expedition that netted more than 650,000 emails, Snyder and the NFL's Billionaires Club got exactly what they wanted, a decoy. The fall guy after all this investigating into the Washington football team was John Gruden, who despite his many faults, has never worked a day for the Washington franchise. The fact that out of, let me say it again, 650,000 emails collected as part of this investigation, the Gruden emails are the only ones that have been made public, is sketchy and problematic, but also quite instructive in understanding what the NFL actually believes the SHIELD stands for. It stands for whatever a group of 32 majority team owners, all white male billionaires, decide it stands for. And when it comes to what an investigation into an NFL team turns up, well, the end result is whatever those 32 people decide it's going to be. Because that's how it works when you're a billionaire white guy. You get to pick the person who investigates your alleged misdeeds, as well as the judge, jury, and executioner. What a life to be the focus of an investigation but have the money and connections available to you to skate on perfectly legitimate allegations while someone else suffers for your sins? Amazing. If I could channel NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell for a moment, thank you, John Gruden, for being the sacrificial lamb that allows us to protect the shield. I feel better knowing I won't have to push for any significant change. To which the billionaire club of NFL owners is saying, Amen and thank God we still don't need to hold ourselves accountable to anyone. During the eight-year period of time these emails cover, starting in 2010, Gruden was an ESPN employee, a Monday night football analyst and host of John Gruden's quarterback camp, in which he interviewed and did tape study with the most highly touted QB prospects likely to go in the top 10 of the NFL draft coming out of college, like Andrew Luck and Marcus Mariota. In a game where players are the biggest stars, Gruden turned himself into a nationally recognized brand despite never having played an NFL down. ESPN viewers even knew his favorite offensive play call, which he'd not only quiz every QB camp guest on, but also shoehorn into every Monday night football telecast he did. Today you're gonna get one of my favorite plays, Spider 2Y Banana. I'm gonna tag it with Z over, but I wanna run it from strong right slot Z right. So real quick, I'm just gonna show you a simple play that everybody runs. We can run it in the short yardage, we can run it in goal line. Spider two wide banana, the line slides to the left. Watch the young back cut down the defensive end, but there's a beautiful banana. Doesn't it look like a banana, Mike? These Saints run all my favorite plays. I am really jealous. It's because John Gruden was such a popular and ever-present figure in the NFL and on NFL broadcasts that the league can stand smug and self-satisfied, thinking it did the right thing by holding Gruden accountable, even though it didn't. Had the NFL chosen to do the right thing and hold Gruden to account for his words and actions, Emmanuel Asho certainly thinks the league would have been in the right. Here is why John Gruden was not canceled, but rather held accountable. Because John Gruden said, I don't have a blade of racism in me, close quote. So what does that mean, Don? What that means is if he was racist while not having racism in him, then he has done nothing over the last decade to fix his racism. If he was misogynistic while not having misogyny in him, then he has done no work to fix his misogyny. If he was homophobic 
while not having a blade of homophobia in him, then he has done nothing to fix his issues. It's not a matter of being canceled. It's realizing that John Gruden is today who he was in 2011. And the reason I can say that confidently is because he is ignorant of who he was in 2011. Thus, he has done nothing to mm -hmm. fix or change or mature as an individual. I think it's pretty sad that Gruden hasn't done any work on himself over the past 10 plus years in the way Acho mentions. That came through in his final press conference statement when he said he doesn't have an ounce of racism in him. What's worse is that he will probably come away from the loss of his livelihood and fame, having learned very little about why what he did was wrong. Is he just gone for good, or is it possible to try to get him to understand why what he said and did hurt and upset so many people in such a way that he comes back to the sport of football a better person? That's certainly what I would root for, rather than shutting Gruden out of public life for good. Though he hasn't to this point, I can certainly imagine him looking for, and easily finding, a place where he's allowed to play the victim. Will Kane of Fox News sounded more than happy to give Gruden a platform to do so. Should he have gotten fired? Then I have to ask, well, what's the standard for somebody getting fired? Because all I can ascertain in 2021 is you're fired when the mob requires that you're fired, and we are increasingly enacting executions and mob justice with greater speed and greater punishment. Anybody in his locker room, not only have they heard worse, they've said worse. I think most people have covered sports, have heard worse and said worse. I think the people in the executive offices of the NFL and Park Avenue have heard worse and said as bad. That's not to excuse John Gruden at all, but I wanna know who is the morally pure to keep casting all these executions. My condition is we're not looking for accountability. We're looking for power. I find his argument about moral cleanliness and nobody having the standing to hold anyone else to account both intellectually and morally bankrupt. It turns the golden rule upside down and excuses a race to the bottom and the standards we set for how one person should treat another. If nobody can be held to account, then why try for moral uplift when it's so much easier to spiral downwards? Cain likens anything else, like facing consequences for one's actions, to quote-unquote mob justice. Cain does make a better point when he talks about power versus accountability, even though I think he's quite wrong about who has the power in the matter of John Gruden. He attributes this so-called power to what he perceives as a woke mob, but the people who used their power to end John Gruden's NFL career were, in fact, NFL owners. That's why Gruden wasn't pushed out of the NFL because of his blatant and aggressively racist, homophobic, and sexist emails, until they were aimed at Roger Goodell. The first batch was released far enough ahead of the Raiders' October 10th loss to the Bears that the NFL had plenty of time to mete out at least some initial form of discipline. Instead, there wasn't even a public response to this October 11th statement from Demora Smith. Quote, The email from John Gruden and some of the reaction to it confirms that the fight against racism, racist tropes, and intolerance is not over. This is not about an email so much as it is about a pervasive belief by some that people who look like me can be treated as less. The email has also revealed why the comments by some with powerful platforms to explain this away are insidious and hypocritical. It is as if there is a need to protect football above the values of equality, inclusion, and respect. The powerful in our business have to embrace that football itself has to be better, as opposed to making excuses to maintain the status quo. I appreciate that he reached out to me and I told him that we will connect soon. But make no mistake, 
The news is not about what is said in our private conversation, but what else is said by people who never thought they would be exposed and how they are going to be held to account. End quote. The problem here is that only John Gruden has been held to account. Sort of. It wasn't because of his use of racist language, nor was it because of his homophobia, even when it was directed at other NFL coaches, reporters, or even a sitting vice president of the United States. Gruden wasn't held to account for this language because it reflects the larger culture of the NFL, at least among those people who are in charge. That's the resounding opinion of those commentators like Emmanuel Ajo and Michael Wilbon. John Gruden, of course he treated his star quarterback earning $125 million. Of course he treated him with the utmost respect, particularly publicly. But just because someone is kind and respectful to you does not mean that they are a kind and respectful person. If John Gruden, who's a head coach and who was the face of Monday Night Football on ESPN, speaking to an audience of 13.3 million people weekly or 221 million people annually, if he was the face of large-scale entities like that, then think about what else currently exists in the NFL society. John Gruden ain't the only person thinking this stuff and saying this stuff. He's That's not. right. What about what they found that there was no written report of? What about that? Mike. And so it's just John Mike. Gruden? This egregiously cavalier attitude and the language that goes with it extends far beyond matters of race. In 2013, Gruden described Joe Biden as, quote, a nervous, clueless pussy. A year later, when the Rams drafted University of Missouri star Michael Sam, who'd come out as gay before the 2014 draft, Gruden said Goodell had pressured then-Rams coach Jeff Fisher to, quote, draft queers. Fisher, who was a head coach in the NFL for 22 years, responded by saying the NFL never offered encouragement or discouragement on a potential pick, and of potential prospects, he wrote, quote, their sexual orientation would never and should never play a part in the decision-making process. As for Michael Sam, whom Gruden dismissed as a queer, Fisher wrote, quote, I continue to support Michael and his decision to come out as the first draft-eligible openly gay player in the league. It took courage to serve as a role model for those competitive football players who may also happen to be gay. End quote. One of those football players Fisher was talking about is, coincidentally, a Raider, who until last month played for Gruden. In June, Carl Nassib became the first active NFL player to publicly come out as gay. He made the announcement on Instagram and then said nothing else about it. Then, something strangely beautiful happened. The announcement seemed like it wasn't a big deal at all. There was no backlash from fans. Teammates publicly supported Nassib. Even John Gruden said, quote, what makes a man different is what makes him great, unquote. If those words were or could be sincere, that's the John Gruden I would like to see. However, after reading his emails, it's difficult to believe he really meant what he said about Nassib. I'm actually astounded all Nassib asked for after Gruden's resignation was one personal day and that he took the field the following week. It leads me to believe that whatever his teammates and GM said to him, was both sincere and personally meaningful, and that their support for him has been unwavering. In this entire story, that appears to be the lone silver lining. Imagine if you were Carl Nassif reading your coach's emails, the ones littered with homophobic language. It's heartbreaking. You'd have thought your coach had one opinion of you, only to find out that his actual feelings were quite the opposite. 
that the only reason he said those things and treated you decently was because he needed something from you on the football field so he could be personally successful, and that if you weren't a productive player, he'd long ago have kicked you curbside, dismissing you with some awful homophobic slur. The irony of this all is that that's exactly the situation Gruden found himself in, being dismissed by the NFL like yesterday's trash. It's because of this. The actual emails that led to Gruden being ushered out the door were the ones in which he referred to Roger Goodell as, quote, a faggot and clueless anti-football pussy. It was, Tony Kornheiser said on part in the interruption, as if that email was released on purpose. How did this happen? How were these leaks so strategically placed that when the first one didn't get rid of him, the second one, like a time bomb, came out? And these leaks were not to casual sports sites. They went to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Somebody in the National Football League, not just somebody, maybe more, sat on this for a little while and went to somebody above them, and, and they decided, John Group, we're going to get him. Chicago 670 The Score midday host Dan Bernstein and Layla Rahimi said, those emails ensured Gruden was gone and Snyder could stay on. Can't have Roger get insulted. There's so many Don't more. worry about Dan Snyder, though. Dan Snyder's an angel in all of this. this Just is, provided the images for Gruden to share, by the way. Tip of the iceberg, by the way. I mean, this is still just what's above water. I can only imagine what else there is. We'll have to keep on imagining because we're never going to find out what else there is unless Congress gets involved. Otherwise, no email we haven't already seen will be made public. Goodell said as much on October 26th, saying the fuller investigation to the Washington football team, which is how this whole situation started, would not be made public. The reason? Protecting the anonymity of the people who cooperated with the investigation is, quote, a very high priority. Apparently, that priority ranks much higher than actually addressing their concerns in any kind of concrete manner. So, if you're employed by the league or by some auxiliary organization whose job depends on the NFL, and you're black, female, gay, player, cheerleader, journalist, or anything else that's not encompassed by the diversity within the very specific group of the NFL's current 32 majority owners, you're just SOL, or out of luck. The league's not going to look out for you unless it directly needs something from you. Know you're always immediately disposable, even if you're the most popular and famous coach of your era. You're not one of the billionaire white men who's in charge, and they don't care about you no matter what they might say, especially if you do anything that could potentially knock them off their perch. Even if it's done with their own tacit permission, we've gone through what John Gruden did. Compare that to what Dan Snyder has said, done, and reportedly said and done. Fostering a toxic workplace, particularly for women, one in which Snyder's lieutenants, like Gruden's BFF Bruce Allen, the team's former general manager, provided the lewd images of cheerleaders for Gruden to email around to his friends. A workplace where women were sexually harassed, denigrated, and offered up pretty much as prizes to corporate sponsors. A workplace where the women who went to the media did so anonymously for fear of retaliation by the team. A workplace where Bruce Allen would still have a job if the on-field product was any good. A situation where the minority owners were looking to sell their stakes in the team in the hopes that Snyder might change his ways, or even face a remote chance of being forced out as majority owner. To say nothing of spending eight years fighting tooth and nail to protect his team's racist nickname. Here was Dan Snyder's ultimate punishment. A $10 million fine for a billionaire and being forced to withdraw from the team's day-to-day -day activities. 
a part of the business his wife now runs. He's still the majority owner, and because he received the NFL's backing, the team's minority owners have little leverage when it comes to divesting their shares. It's a complete joke when Goodell says Snyder has been held accountable. Ultimately, Gruden got the treatment Snyder more than deserves. Gruden's departure was necessary, but the way in which it was done makes a statement loud and clear. Given the option between doing the right thing and sacrificing someone else at their altar so they can continue doing the wrong thing their way, well, we know which choice the NFL will continue to make. Occasionally it will talk the talk, but it will never walk the walk. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was written, voiced, edited, and produced by me, Jake Williams. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 